Hey guys, Sam here. On this episode of GarageCast, Tony and I dissect an oldie but a goodie. It's the basic message that applies to all. This was a document that Ed Lemko put together years ago. It was sent out recently by Greg Booth, one of our clients up there in Canada. And we thought, you know what? It's been a while since we've pulled this thing apart. So we walked through the basic message that applies to all, all 10 steps. Thank you, Ed Lemko. Enjoy this one. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Welcome to GarageCast. A lot of good feedback I'm getting once again on uh, boys from NPA. Yeah, we have them on every quarter. People loving that. We need the Marine counterpart to that, Tony. I've got a few leads out there, Marine dealers, Mannheim, and and some other auction houses. If there's somebody that you want to hear us interview on the regular, you know, in the Marine space, info at Garage Composites. Please just listen to what I just said, info at Garage Composites. Send us an email on that. We would love to hear from you. You mean I shouldn't um, keep giving out your cell number? Yeah, don't give out the cell All number. Right, my bad. Still doesn't ring. Good feedback. And and we got some emails too about just some, a lot of dealers like, I'm not seeing that. As in, I'm doing all right. I'm not seeing that. And again, that's why we do this, right? Is because this is what the average dealer in the country is doing. And I, I'm clearly talking about the one before that. We talked about 2019 versus 2023 rolling into the NPA guys just last week. So it's really framing out where we are. And I like the fact that people are seeing different things relative to the averages that we're throwing out there. Yeah. Greg Booth, yeah. Greg Booth, our chairman up there in uh, Canada for our Polaris Canadian one group. Uh, he's the chair. He's out of the province of Ontario. Great guy, man. When you meet Greg, he's passionate. He's in the business. He's, he's getting it done up there. Greg is very vocal in his group, probably the most vocal guy out there. Um, but, uh, he sent out uh, a piece of paper to his group, which caught our eye because, uh, it's funny to know Greg is to know that he's going to take a scanned copy of something or he's going to take a copy. He's going to scan it into his computer <laughs> and he's going to send it out to his group. So he sent out, uh, the basic message applies to all it, which, which hearkened you and I back years and years ago yeah 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 well it's interesting right because he the only words that he put on that email he misspelled great but greta great great read exclamation point it's like it's like yeah. he's giving you an editorial on your favorite sports team and you look down and you're like this isn't a great read this is very informative but i don't know yeah. that I you know tony th- to our listeners out there you may be familiar with basic messages that apply to all uh those of you who are familiar and doing time with uh, ed lemko back in the day this is an iteration. This is like, I believe it's three. This is the third iteration because it, it always used to start with the conversation about, did you count the cash register? You count the money mm-hmm. in the drawer? Okay, why wouldn't you count the number of people coming through the door? If you're going to count the drawer, you got to count the traffic log. Yes. And that went into um, an article. If you remember that Lemco letter he wrote, it was the, it was the I, seven things that you're counting where you should be counting the traffic log before these seven things. Yeah, the, and this goes back to the day that the Lemco letter, man, that was, uh, we would all write and it was sent out or 
that's back when dealers were faxing numbers in. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, is people always ask me when, when I tell them what I do for a living, they're like, that's, that's like the weirdest space I've ever heard a consultant be in the power sports industry. Like <laughs> how did that happen? And I, and fax I tell machines. them, <laughs> uh, yeah, fax machines. I tell them that like, they're like, how the hell did you get into that? You know? So I explain the story of uh you riding on the back of my harley davidson for all those years like you did what do we that's a, that's a nightmare <laughs> no. you woke no, up no. with yeah no 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 actually i talk about you know sam and i got to know each other through common friends but like i always say that at the crossroads of luck and hard work and good decisions you know come come where your future actually places you and so those of you that do not know ed lemko because we talk about him a lot on this show he was the godfather of consulting in the space. Like he literally invented consulting in the power sports industry. And so I'm like, you know, just so happened to, at the time I was happened to be working for this guy, the godfather of consulting. And he would come out with stuff like this. That is pretty damn relevant. It's funny how relevant it is today compared to 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, which is, I mean, the message stands the same. Well, yeah, we're going to we're going to break this down. That's what this podcast yeah. is about. But you're going to notice to Tony's point, it's almost like a soap opera. You know, you could not watch a soap opera and then you could come back to a soap opera. I remember being in high school and I was sick with mono and I would stay home and I watch this stupid show. And then you come back to it years later. You're like, it's the same show. It's exactly the same show. And you look at some of these bullet points and some of the numbers need to be updated a little bit. And we'll call those out as needed. But it really is the same piece. But so. You, if you count the cash registry, you should be counting the customers coming into the door. Talk about yeah. the importance of counting those customers before you count these seven other things. And all of that then rolled into this document right here, which yeah. is 10 bullet points called the basic messages that apply to all. So we, you and I have committed to, we're actually going to read these to you to, to show you how two decades and some change later, they are still very relevant to your business. So uh, yeah, go. Yeah, and I just want to—I just want the listeners to hear this. For those of you who've been through our management academies, you're going to recognize all of this because this is the framework for all of our management uh -huh. academy material. This is what we start with. Most of these bullet points come right out of the gate on day one with yeah. our management academy. So, Tony, you just want to jump into number one there? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Sharpen your pencils, people. Here we go. The primary challenge is staying in control of a fashionable, seasonable, and unpredictable business that has the most challenging distribution system that any retailer has ever had to contend with. Dealers who place themselves in a position to really think and plan and not just react to what comes at them every day are in a position to accomplish the needed level of control and stay out of the swirl that is an absolute reality in our business. Dealers seldom suffer from bad planning. They pay the price of no planning. I mean, that's that's awesome. That's a walk-off homer. There, I love that there's one. There's so much in there, right? The, the needed level of control. You think about the NPA, and we just had the guys on last week talking about the used. Yep. You're sitting there waiting on what comes in across the curb or what pulls up at the dock for the marine dealers who are listening right now, or you actually proactively you know exactly what segment of pre-owned you need and you're constantly looking for it and buying it. It's it's that it's the line right above it, just not, not reacting, not reacting, yep. the level of control necessary. And if you feel like you are reacting on a daily basis, maybe take a step back and look at your process of your day, what you're doing and how you go about negotiating your day. Maybe it's a time to, to, to make a quick change, right? So yep. uh, hit, hit us with number two. Number two is all about the money. The money is in the fiberglass. Yeah. People, people are like, what are you talking about? Dance what? Time. Say what? Money's in the metal. Metal, metal. It's also in the fiberglass as in the money is in the major unit, the focus, 
tends to be on your major unit salespeople when we talk about sales, sure. but your parts department is a sales department, your service department is a sales department. So this one is the money's in the metal and you can put fiberglass on there as well. Sell the bikes and the boats at a profit and everything else is downstream. To accomplish this, you have to not be a slave to the marketplace. The A models are quick and easy and sell and generate good margins. The market wants those hot sellers. Problem has always been that you can never get enough of the A models while they're still hot. Dealers who outperform the market develop the means to sell the B and C offerings, which re- your OEM will always require you to buy. Move the metal. Yeah. Everything else is downstream. And you have heard us talk on this podcast, at least I'll say ad nauseum, about how you sell your ABC product, how you pay and spiff, and how you commission your A, B, and C product, and how you make that work. Hell, Steve Larson was talking about it. Yeah couple, three, four weeks ago about how you look at your entire thing and and make all of those things go away and make profit on the whole shoot and match. So yeah. Tony, the second sentence in there, and I'm going to repeat this, and I'm going to repeat this, and I know I'm stereotyping, but for all the auto guys that found their way into power sports, I'm going to say the second line again. Sell the bikes and boats at a profit and everything else is downstream. It's not just move the metal or move the fiberglass to move it and make it up in finance and, and the back end. It's sell them at a profit and everything else is downstream. Yeah. And listen, we have proven time and time again, there is, there is with rare exception dealerships out there that have made the volume model just work pure, it, right? Where, where again, when you're, when you're talking auto and you, you have to sell 200, 300, 400 cars a month and you got that volume and you make up your money in service promotions, I get it. Yeah, that's why those Again, I always say that they're not called dealership. It's called campuses. They they take up freeway exits, so they're clearly doing it right, but it traditionally just does not work in power sports or in the marine space. So number three, this one's not going to be any new for anybody out there. A structured sales process makes it all happen. Make it easy to buy. I did not say make it easy for someone. Make it easy to sell, right? Make right. it easy to buy and give potential buyers lots of attention in the early phase of shopping when he or she is just looking. You don't need salespeople waiting for someone to be back and want a deal on the A model. With an adequate number of prepared salespeople, you can take the time required to sell the prospect who is just looking what you have in stock. Without control of the sales process, you are taking orders for the A and giving away the less giving away the less than prime inventory for below cost after allowing for flooring costs. I love that. Again, it is, I have literally built my living on the concept of the longer you stay in the greet and the guided discovery, the less time that you're going to sit down at the bottom and haggle, make a connection. Well, and Tony, this whole premise, we've hit it, we've said it twice now, two different talking points of the first three has to do with ABC inventory, right? This means you know what A, B, and C inventory is. This means you know what the dogs are that aren't selling, the seeds that you may have to spiff or incentivize or do whatever you need to do to make go away, which means you have to make the money on the front ones, which is why we have to be in such a sales mindset. So A, B, and C inventory, we could attach that to pay plans. There's a million rabbit holes we could go down. I'm going to hit number four here, which is control your inventory or it will control you. And I think hey. a lot of dealers were so desperate for inventory, they took everything uh, whether it was clothing or parts and accessories or major units from every manufacturer they picked up along the way in the last three years, and we're sitting on some obsolescence right now. Take out the emotion and have the sales-driven process. Control your inventory <laughs> or it will control you. 
take out the emotion and have a sales-driven purchasing system. An absolute in business that has few absolutes is that no dealer ever went broke for what he didn't buy. And I know right now you got some dealers rubbing their hands together and some manufacturers telling us to shut up. Hold on, stay with us. A retailer buys at wholesale and what he can what he can sell at retail. Do not get sold at wholesale. Identify B and C models and begin aggressively marketing as soon as they arrive. The A's will take care of themselves. Have an open to buy. We've talked about that many times in our management academy. In the parts and accessory department, a simple budget for your buyer earns he earns it by moving a product. If the inventory is to increase, it must be the decision of the dealer principal. Yeah, go. You sit there. What? No, you sit here and you think about the strategy of inventory acquisition in in the new space, in new inventory, has gone by the wayside for the past three years, and dealers are immersed in it right now. And you got manufacturers that are coming out saying, "We finally got supply chain figured out. We got all the product that you need." Well, that's all well and good, but how much can the dealer sell? So, yeah, I, yeah. If, if the strategy is to hit your wagon to the brand that's crushing it right now, so you're going to take the risk on that brand. Okay, that is the strategy, but don't let your emotion get in the way and just say yes to all the orders that come in because we're thinking about the last two years where we could have sold anything we had our hands on and we didn't have. Yeah, I just got back from a training in the UK last week uh, where I went through uh, open to buy and obsolescence and made all the dealers uh, shout out the the you know approximate number of what they think they have in the back that has had a birthday. And the numbers were shocking, man, whether it's in the US, the UK, Mexico, name it, hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds in that case that are basically worth nothing. And it's all due to a lack of process and a lack of open to buy. Um, again, this one, this one stands true. Nothing has changed much other than probably different manners in which to purchase using the internet. There's also processes in which to make sure you can get it back. Great ways on figuring out how to discount using open to buy. Again, the message stands clear. Let's let's go to number five. And here's another one where Ed was a visionary with it, priority or back then it was pre-sold maintenance, right? And then we went away from that because nobody likes to be sold anything. So priority maintenance, we'll call it, which is um, the best dealers in the country have been doing this for decades. And then, you know, some of the better ones are catching up. And then there's some people that are still like, man, I don't want to get into that priority maintenance business. Uh Doug Rudd, I'm still trying to get you to do that after 23 years. But anyway, uh, pre-sold maintenance is the golden goose. The most profitable thing we sell is an hour of scheduled maintenance labor. Tie your customer to your dealership by selling what he or she needs at the time he or she is most receptive to buying. That's something where I want it. a hard pause mm. is when they are most receptive to buying. I get all kinds of dealers telling me, yeah, my my finance manager, my sales manager, and kind of me too. You know, I, I don't like to push or sell people on things that they may not need. And I don't look at finance products as something you're selling me. I look at them as something that I should be allowed to buy, like something that's going to protect this thing. Not only that, I am like on the ether right now. And you know this. I mean, you're on 105, 110 bikes that you bought. Not one of them has dulled your experience, has it? Meaning when you go to pick that damn thing up, you're still like it's Christmas morning, yes? Oh, it's just, no. The, to your point, it makes me giddy every single time. And for weeks every before time. and after. Yeah. Yeah. I am I am a guy that's in the industry that has access to these units. And I'll tell you this, I buy priority maintenance on my stuff 
I buy the extended mm-hmm. service, uh, all that stuff, because I look at it as an entitlement. It's something I'm entitled to see. So yeah. um, tie your customer to your dealership by selling what he or she needs at the time he or she is most receptive to buying it. This revenue is a true dividend for having a structured sales and F&I process. Tony, you, you, just one comment on your tie of the customer to the dealership by selling what he needs at the time, at the time. Right? Mm-hmm. You sit here and you think about how advanced these motorcycles are, whether they're ATVs, UTVs, you know, I call them all motorcycles no matter what they are, even mm-hmm. even dirt bikes, right? You had uh, one dirt bike you bought. What was it that was on that dirt bike? It wasn't cruise control. There was something else on that dirt bike. You're, oh, Wi-Fi. I had Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. Has, I still have it. Has Wi-Fi. And this isn't 30 years ago when, when any moron who could spin a crescent wrench and a Phillips head screwdriver could work on their own bikes. Most of us who ride these toys can't work on them or we don't have the time to work on them, which rolls right back into you have a way that I can save money and have all of it handled right now. And I'm going to buy into today's labor rate. It's just handled every time I come to the dealership. That is the moment of purchase that that feeling is the strongest. So I want to make sure I correct that because I, I can hear dealers right now hammering you and me when we say it has Wi-Fi. It has Bluetooth so you can go and you can tune it into three or four different mechanisms. So I just want to correct that <laughs> because we'll, we'll, we will hear about this. We're going to we hear don't. about it anyhow. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk about service department. Structure the service department for more gravy and less grief. Make time for the good work by letting someone else have the bad jobs. And, and you say that and a lot of people are like, yeah, that makes sense. But I don't think that people understand the level that Ed was saying, make sure that everyone else has the bad jobs. You know, if plug them up. That's right. If you had Johnny who used to work for you as a wrench and now he opened his own shop down the road, don't get mad at Johnny. Say, Johnny, I'm going to send you all the business possible. Have your business cards right here in the service writer's desk because all the yeah. teardowns, the 40 year old bikes that you're restoring, you don't want all of those. But my guy, Johnny, right down the road, you're going to fill him up with all the work that the service department doesn't want. Always have an inspect and report in place and be structured to provide quick service for all the gravy work. In other words, you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you what is wrong with you. That is the inspect and report. The doctor also charges you for that. He may be able to fix it that day on the spot, or we may need to book an appointment three weeks out or send you to a specialist. Set your service department up like a professional service department and be available for the quick work, for the traveler coming through who needs a tire or an oil change or whatever it happens to be. And we make very profitable departments that way. Again, I sit here and I smirk because, you know, Max Matern, who who runs our service training academies, you know, he is still attempting to pound this message into service managers' heads, which is the inspect and report. Mm-hmm. Make it so easy and so part of your process that to not have it done would make people go, well, what the hell happened with that customer? Why didn't we do the full inspection? And why did we double check our work? And, you know, it's, it's, it's. It's crazy how, again, 20 to 25 years past when this was written, it is still relevant. So, Tony, you sit there and you think, why? And for every dealer out there who's like, yeah, my guys don't do it either. I tell them to do it and they don't do it. Why? And it's the ego is so big, gang, that when you take a former technician and you put him or her in the service rider's chair, they want the customer to know that they're so smart and they have the answer. That's when you get the curbside diagnostic work. It's their ego that stops them. Somebody has to manage that. You can't just hope it happens. There needs to be an inspector report every single time as part of the job requirement. Yeah, I love this one. And once again, it is still relevant today. Number seven, get beyond last man standing management. Managers have to have more going for them than just being there when the last guy quits. You got to remember, this is also a day and age when it was a whole lot more just guys in the industry, but also 
this is classic Ed Lemko writing right here, right? So last guy standing. As an industry, we venerate loyalty above all else and tolerate incompetence if the individual is loyal enough. We always talk about do not reward loyalty, eh. reward productivity. If you have somebody that's been there for 20 years and you only love them because they'll listen to all your stories and they show up right on time, but they just don't produce, man, you got to stop paying for loyalty. Give all managers a clear understanding of what is expected and the procedures that will drive performance. Use all of the Lemco, quotations, GC, resources available to you. Keeping an incompetent manager in place is totally disloyal to your customers and your business. That's the thing, right? It's the customer experience that suffers. And and I think it's I think this needs a little clarification. We're not saying don't be loyal to people who've been loyal to you. We're saying don't yeah. put them in positions of management to cause a lackluster experience or a customer yeah. to never come back because they don't know what they're doing or a department to fail terribly uh, financially speaking. Staffing levels. I'm going to throw a couple of numbers at you that have certainly changed. We'll talk about them as soon as I finish. Yeah. Else, but maintain staffing levels to anticipated needs. One salesperson, this is major unit salesperson, one salesperson for every 12 bikes slash boats you plan to sell that month. One staff member in parts and accessories, PG&A, for every $23,000 you plan to sell. And two support people for every three mechanics. I can hear Max Viturn blowing up right now. The downside yep. to staffing up in anticipation of sales is much less than what you will lose by being understaffed. So a couple pieces to pick apart in that one. I find it interesting because the 12 bikes is still a metric benchmark. One salesperson for every 12 bikes. And if you sit there and you think, well, you know, our, our ratio is 1 to 20, as I know some dealers are 1 to 20, then you don't have enough people to engage the customers coming in digitally or otherwise in the manner that creates an experience for them. So you're missing out on some of those buyers. So just because you're doing it at 1 to 20 doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It's certainly not the most profitable thing to do. And then you sit there and you think about, you know, we, we always used to say four commission salespeople working for you. One of them quit. What do the other three tell the boss, Tony? You don't need anybody else in the department. You don't need to hire anybody. We're good at the levels that we're at right now. That's exactly right. They want they don't want you to hire anybody more because they think that pie is split three ways instead of four ways. And we all know, those of us who've been doing this long enough, that is a much larger pie split four ways than the pl- pie split three ways. If you want to go to football, I'll tell you that the 10 best people in the National Football League will never beat the 11 worst. They won't. There's always somebody open. It won't happen. Right. So you need to have enough people to do it. Uh, Tony, just being a fireman, Ed used to love the fact that you were a fireman. He'd talk about that all the time. He'd say, you know, if the bell goes off at the firehouse or if the bell doesn't go off at the firehouse, I should say, the guys are still there. They're still yep. there. They're in anticipation of it happening because it's catastrophic if they're not there. And so you're going to lose a lot more by having them with the bell not going off than by not having them. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. It's funny how the metri- metrics have changed. Uh, you know, and also you bring in the advent of the digital traffic log, the digital space. This was obviously written before there was an internet that was available to the public. Um, it'd be interesting to see his take on today's market. There's a lot of this stuff that makes him roll in his grave. A lot of these numbers and a lot of the way that we operate. But- sales Tony sales per employee in PG&A through July of 23 is at 54 grand right now. <laughs> 54 grand versus yeah. the 23 that we just rattled off. Yeah. That's going to be changing though, too, because we've also started looking at taking out the service numbers out of our parts and accessories. It's going to be interesting to see what the 20 clubs have to say this fall about pulling all of the parts and accessories that the service riders sell on the service drive 
yep. versus just your straight uh, parts and accessory salespeople. So more to come on that. That That's going to be a podcast episode in and of itself. So number nine, and I always go back to, you know, when, when you and I started this business, man, talk about naive and talk about trying to find our way in the dark and leaning on people. You know, I remember one of the greatest things, one of the greatest lessons I ever got was from Rock Northy. Rock, if you're listening, love you for this, which is Rock says, you open every single piece of mail. Always. He goes, that's how I don't get robbed. That's how I don't pay extra for bills that I shouldn't as I open every damn piece of mail and I read every single piece of it. And that's what number nine is, is do all the routines in the admin department daily, weekly, and monthly. Don't make it easy for someone to take what you work so hard to make. And you and I both are still, and all of our moderators talk about this, is we still have stories of people figuring out the savviest ways to steal money from dealers. I still hear a story, you know, two or three of them a year about like, just, you got to be kidding me. That's how they did it. It's nuts, right? Yeah. Well, Tony, pre-Tony, Ed used to teach a class. 99 ways that you can be stolen from in your dealership. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. We had to cancel I do, the and class. Then had to stop. We were, teaching, <laughs> we were teaching people. We were teaching GMs. You know, the owners would send the GMs to that class and go learn about that. And then the GMs would find ways to <laughs> take the money out of the owner's piggy bank. That's awesome. And then number 10, have a daily check checklist. We call these daily dozens only because at one point Ed came up with 12 things that a sales manager should do. And then he's like, well, we should come up with 12 things that a parts manager should do and a general manager. So we had daily dozens for every department. So have a daily checklist for yourself and all your managers. Use the daily dozens of which we still have. We've got them compiled on one sheet now. You're welcome to have them. Shoot us a note. We'll get them back to you or ask your moderator. Or come up with a better list. It is absolutely the difference between being proactive or... And I've got it pulled up here in front of me right now, Tony, and I'm just looking like... Let's just go down the sales manager's daily dozen, traffic log review, attitude adjusted for sales, showroom housekeeping, pending sales, credit turndowns, inventory check, including pre-owned, current OEM programs, event planning, as in a reason to buy today, who turned us down, as in we got them approved, why did they turn us down, meet with the dealer principal, update the motivator board, status board, and all follow-up procedures. And if you just look at that, and you're like, Man, if every dealership ran that way on systems yeah. to that level of uh, yeah. a granularity, I think the results would speak for themselves. I always ask people when we start talking about daily dozens, like how many times do you walk in with a complete checklist of things that you want to do or the best of intentions? You're going to you're gonna rearrange the floor or you're going to clean out the aisle. You're going to do something that day, right? And then next thing you look down at your watch, it's three o'clock, you haven't eaten lunch um, and you've got nothing accomplished. Uh, And and the daily dozens is a manner in which you can take control of your day. It systematically makes you the the one I love uh, that I remember from the, from the GM daily dozens is, you know, as you're approaching your dealership, you're looking number one, it's just as easy as you're looking at your parking lot, your signage, your building, looking for trash outside before you even walk in the door. You're actually looking at what your business looks like to the customer and and you're adjusting and making decisions just on that. So, I mean, it gets down to that. And I think it's, it, once again, it's still completely relevant. It's amazing to me that Ed hasn't been with us since 2011. And yet, I, I don't know, there's a single day, Tony, that his name doesn't come up or we're not thinking about him or talking about him inside uh, the organization or what. So thank you, Ed, for everything. And thank you guys for listening. This was the basic messages that apply to all. And uh, props to Greg for shooting that thing out, huh? 
Yeah, big props to Greg uh, Greg Booth up there in Canada doing great work in his 20 club. And, and the, the only thing I continue to say about Ed to everybody is that still to this day, he's creating billionaires. Still to this day. He's, he's creating seven-figure people because of his stuff. So super cool. Awesome. Um, thanks, Greg, for doing that. Really good refresher and a really good episode, man. So for Sam Dancer, I'm Tony Gonzalez. This has been GarageCast. I hope you guys have a fantastic Tuesday. Well, thanks, everyone.